Hey, what's going on, everybody? Today, I had the pleasure to chat with American singer, songwriter, and cabaret artist Marissa Mulder. In this new episode, Marissa joined me to talk about life growing up in Syracuse, New York, being introduced to music of Frank Sinatra, Elvis Gerald, Billie Holiday, the moment she heard and saw Judy Garland perform Summer Over the Rainbow, creation behind John Prine's tribute show, finding enjoyment performing in intimate settings, her love for cabaret, and more. Now, with that being said, hope you enjoy my conversation with Marissa. Marissa, hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you, Jigme. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I mean, it's 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 beautiful and 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 such an honor to be able to chat with you and and to sort of I guess now begin to explore some of your music that you've released over the years and I and I guess also talk about your experiences that you've had on on big and small stages. Um, but I want to start with talking about the I guess. How did you first get started? Was it sort of this thing from your family growing up, or was it something that just came naturally? Sure. Well, um, I grew up in upstate New York, in Syracuse, New York, and I I had been singing since my parents remember me singing since I was about three, three or four. They kind of noticed that I had a a, a singing voice. And then um, my grandparents were a huge influence on me. They lived around the corner for me while I was growing up. Um, I could walk to their house and my, my grandmother had a piano and she directed a lot of shows down at the local church and musicals and musical reviews. And she had tons of music um, from the Great American Songbook and musical theater shows in the basement. So uh, she would play through those for me. I would learn them and sing along. And I was very close with my grandfather. And he loved um, all the standards, you know, jazz, uh, Billie Holiday, Billy Eckstein, Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald. Um, so they were just a big influence on me as a small person and exposed me to a lot of different kinds of music, but especially the older music. And then my grandmother gave me my first solo in a show she directed called Manhattan Melodies down at this little church where I went to elementary school. Um, so that was kind of how it started. And then in my own house, my mom and dad, you know, my dad was playing um, more contemporary music like Joni Mitchell and James Taylor, John Prine. Elton John, um, the Beatles. So between those two households, I had a lot of music playing in my childhood. Absolutely. And I guess, how do I really begin this question? By But I want, I'm, I'm wondering about all those, I guess, influences that you're talking about um, being, I guess, young as a child and, and hearing these artists that sort of paved the way for musicians these days um and so yeah. you kind of like ref you kind of like referred to frank sinatra and Elvis Gerald and and the iconic music and artists they've already been in in this lifetime but also also inspiring other artists um like future ones that are coming up still and 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 people like yourself and but I guess in, in regards to Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and those, I guess, in that realm of artists, what was it about their music or their style that you kind of like were like, okay, maybe this is what I want to do. 
as a career it was was there something that stuck out from them that kind of like just gave you that urge yes um a lot of it was just the clarity of their voices and the way that they used the lyrics especially frank sinatra i think he's i think he was the greatest singer um to ever live and i think it's because of the way he told stories with his phrasing the way he um used every word and the the feeling he put into it and and that goes the same for Ella Fitzgerald and um, another singer I loved from a very young age was Judy Garland. And that's because, yeah, they, they made me feel something when I listened. I could understand every lyric. Um, when I would watch videos of them, they really told a story. It wasn't just singing. It was acting, um, conveying the message. And that really appealed to me from a young age. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess also like hitting on the point of, you know, in those realm of inspirations and, and musicians that you've looked up to over the years, I mean, I guess we also talked about in the beginning or you referred to John Prine and, and Billie Holiday and those types of artists as well. But I guess now as, as we're talking about that, I want to talk about John Prine um, and sort of the I guess I guess the tribute show that you put on, um, I guess pl playing one of his I guess playing more of his notable songs, but also songs that people didn't really listen to more often. You know, songs like Sam Stone, which is I guess it is a notable song, but it isn't sung as much as people would think because a lot of the songs that are covered is Angel from Montgomery, uh, more commonly, um, and stuff like that, but. I guess what was what went into that John Prine tribute show because I was doing some research and it was sort of like I was interested to know because it was a COVID creation that you had made um but was it that was it just the spur of the moment or was it sort of something that you genuinely wanted to put out for listeners and wanted to pay tribute to the one of the legendary artists of, of this generation yes I mean it was a bit of both I think um for years, I had been singing John Prine's song, Hello In There, and I discovered it years ago because Bette Midler had, had covered it um, years back when she was doing her, her cabaret act and early in her career. And I loved the song so much. I, it just gave me goosebumps. And so I always knew that one. I, of course, knew Angel from Montgomery. Um, to be honest, I didn't know a lot of his other songs before I put the show together. I had grown up with the songs playing in my house, but I had never really, um, you know, listened very hard or appreciated them like I do now when I was quite young. I don't think I understood them. So it was a couple things. My pianist, John Weber, is a huge John Prine fan. And he kept pushing me. Um, you know, he had played a couple of his songs for me over the years. And he kept saying, you should do a whole evening of his stuff. And and my dad all kept pushing me to do that. And so after John Prine died early on in COVID, it was just so sad and um, there were so many articles about him, you know, his obituary and all these great interviews. And um, it was then that I decided, yeah, let's do a deep dive into his catalog and 
put together an evening. And so it was um, a show I worked on during COVID and I was blown away by all the songs I discovered. Some of them, you know, my pianist, John said, you should listen to this or you got to check this out. Some of them I discovered on my own. Um, my dad had some thoughts of songs I should look at. So um, that's how it started. Yeah, and I guess one of the more, I guess, songs that I've sort of like fell in love with was, um, I guess, Egg and Daughter Night, um, which was called Crazy Bone um, uh, by John Prine. And I sort of was laughing along with the, uh, with how he was sort of so, sort of performing it, but also the lyrics behind it, and sort of he was asked this question in interviews, like, "So that was a song that you came up when you're fishing?" And he's like, "Yeah, my buddy and me, we went we went out to get that rainbow trout, um, and we just happened to you know stumble upon like this, I guess this saying that he heard, um, and he's like, this is how I wrote it, and I thought that you know, I guess like." I, I don't remember the lyrics. I think there's a lyric of something about apple being sweet. And then he's like crazy bone, old crazy bone. Um, and that's just who John Prine is. It's sort of this different songwriting that you're not typically usually hear in songs. It's sort of John's humorous way of creating some songwriting genius within the song itself. It's, it's inflection, it's storytelling to its highest peak. Um, I mean, I'm curious to know if when you sort of perform that song or put on that show for audiences that you perform in every night, what what goes through your mind? What what do you feel when you sort of sing songs that mean that much to John himself and his family, but also the fans that he's also impacted? Yeah, well, so much goes through my mind and, and the songs are like you said, the peak of storytelling there. It's such strong storytelling, whether he's writing something funny or completely heartbreaking, which he does. He does both. You know, he did both so well. And I just think it's it's the commitment to the lyrics and to the story. And really, um, you know, I, I try to just put them over with as much sincerity and honesty as I can. Um, finding my own emotional ties to each one is so important. But for example, like a song like Sam Stone, um, you know, it's about a, a, a veteran, you know, that comes back from the war and is just is so damaged from that and, and can never come back from that. And it's so devastating, but um, so just trying to, I don't know, put myself in the character's shoes. Same thing with Angel from Montgomery. You know, John is writing about a middle-aged woman who is just, she's desperate and lonely and she wants out of her life. And what an incredible opening line that he wrote. I am an old woman named after my mother. I mean, he wrote that and he sang that. He's saying, I am an old woman. And I read an interview with him and he said, it never crossed my mind that that was weird because he said, I write characters. And he said it was from her point of view. So I, that's what I sang. I am an old woman named after my mother. And I think that's what's so strong about him. The, the pictures he paints are so clear. Um, 
that it's just sort of almost like getting out of the way, um, taking myself out of the equation to just put the story over. And, and it was really cool to do that with my pianist, John. And I had a friend play guitar because we could sort of, um, you know, strip down the songs and it becomes not just singing, but also acting. Um, I hope that answers your question. So that's sort of how I approach the show. And of course, there are humorous songs as well, because he had such a great sense of humor, um, not only with with his songs, but things he said in interviews. That's a lot of the talking I do between the songs are a lot of his own quotes and thoughts on life and his songs, which are fabulous. Absolutely. And for people who haven't seen uh, Marissa's tribute show or the video of the tribute show from her YouTube channel that honor John Prine's music, go check it out. And it's full of great music from John's catalog. Um, I'll, I'll actually want to play one of the videos that I uh, stumbled upon with that show specifically that I want to share with viewers as well that are listening to this podcast. So uh, here it is. Well, that was uh, Marissa's uh, rendition of John Prine's and Bonnie Wright's uh, Angel from Montgomery. Um, I guess as as we're sort of like reflecting back on on that song and and what it means to what it meant to John, but also what it meant to you performing that song. When you hear that back and when you watch that performance, what do you think of? I think of just the brilliant storytelling of the song and sort of the, I think of just what a strong lyricist and songwriter he was and, and the pictures he paints and um, you know he really captures this woman um, who's kind of in this very lonely partnership or marriage and, you know, the third verse, it's kind of like there's flies in the kitchen. I can hear them there buzzing, but I ain't done nothing since I woke up today. Uh, that kind of desperation um, and that, you know, make me an angel. Just that give me something, give me something because this person's kind of just drowning in their life. Uh, so that's what it makes me think of. There's so much passion to it and kind of like a plea. And it's just such an incredible song. I just, it, he was such a special writer who, you know, never was, um, it, you know, in comparison to the others. Like he never was maybe as famous as them. But I mean, all the great songwriters from Bob Dylan to Bruce Springsteen, you know, they all kind of looked at him as as the very best that's how they spoke about him John Mellencamp um just so what an interesting humble under the radar guy that's what I think and what a special 
special person who wrote that song as well as many of his others like Sam Stone and Hello in there when he was just in his 20s, um, which is another thing that blows me away. He wrote some of these really deep songs when he was a young man um, working as a mailman, actually. Before he made it as a songwriter, he was a mailman. It's just so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And could I also talk about the, I guess, the influence of Judy Garland that you had on your early career as well? Because I guess like when I'm sort of reading articles about sort of the inspirations that you found growing up, um, one of the things that fascinated me was Judy Garland and the story that you had there. I mean, you obviously had this love or I guess watching Wizard of Oz um, was something that you kind of had that initial spark from. Um, and you sort of said that, you know, the first time that you saw Wizard of Oz, you were watching it with your grandpa. Um, and you still remember that first time that you saw and, and heard Judy Garland sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, could you tell me about what what that sort of, in, in, I guess, encompassed? Sure. Yeah, I mean, even though I was so very young, I mean, I was struck by her and the way she sang the song. And not only is it a, is it a beautiful song, but it, it was the feeling she brought to it that um, even as a, a little girl, it just it just kind of struck me because I feel like, you know, Judy was someone that brought all of herself to everything she's saying and you know she um there was sadness there was sadness in that song there was an underlying sadness um and depth you know it wasn't just a pretty girl singing a pretty song i guess that's what i mean i could feel that even as a young person that she was emoting she was there was something going on more than just the words or her voice, there was feeling underneath. And then as I got older and continued to explore her videos and stuff, I mean, she just was um, a master at just being so vulnerable and raw and truthful when she sang. And like Frank Sinatra once said about Judy that every time she sang a part of her died and you know I don't know if that's necessarily the truth when she was so young in Wizard of Oz but even that she had this depth and it's and it really stuck out to me yeah and I remember hearing something about I remember I, was, I, was, I don't remember when this was but I remember hearing something about this specific thing with I guess emotive feelings um, I remember hearing something about if you, I guess, encompass those feelings and and actually show those feelings that the song portrays. So, like, for instance, if a song is, is I guess, how do I say this? If a song is including this feelings of longing and heartbreak and stuff like that, then you have to show that feelings in your performance. Because then that makes the story even more powerful and it tells the story um, without having to do much. Um, and being able to really showcase those emotions um, as if 
you know that was happening in real life um That's you know that i remember hearing that and i was like that is very true for for a lot of songwriters and artists um but i mean when when you perform on stages do you ever sort of include some of those things or i don't know how to say this but like do you ever do you ever try to figure out how to make a song feel more stronger but also include those feelings that the song is already feeling alone yeah i mean i'm not sure i i think the biggest thing is just you know i when i pick when i know i have to sing a song it's because it makes me feel something or like like doris day used to say that if a song made the hairs on her arm stand up, she knew she had to sing that song. So if a song kind of grabs me in some way, whether it makes me laugh or cry, or just I find myself Googling it when I get home, if I've heard it, like, what was that? What was that song? Then I know I have to sing it. Um, and I, sometimes I don't know when I'll sing it, but I know I have to sing it. So when I, when I bring a song to the stage, I think it's just really, I try to be as clear as I can on what the song is saying, but um, what it means, what the story is, but mo most importantly, what it means to me. Like, how do I relate to this song? What can I draw from my own life? that can put this song over and make it feel real to the listener. Um, I think that's the most important part. Um, so I think it's really finding your own personal connection. That's in my experience to really make, to sell it, to make it come through to an audience is why do I relate to this? What's it saying? Who am I talking to? Who am I singing to? All those things, almost like an actor would prepare. Because I, I really think singing and storytelling is acting. You know, it's it's being really clear about what you're saying, what it means to you, why you're saying it, who you're saying it to, what do you want, um, and kind of being in the moment. I hope that answers. That's what I try no, to do. No, honestly, I, 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 I totally understand what you're saying. I guess like to, to further clarify what you meant there, but, but I, I think what we're trying to get by is sort of this, you have to try and do this impromptu performance. Um, you know, not like, I guess like there's going to be moments where like, you're going to have to, um, obviously like perform in your own sort of way, but also there's this thing where like, if things go wrong, um, then you're sort of in this moment where where you're like okay you can't show this mistakes on on the stage the show has to go on so what are you going to do about it now so that's when i guess the the strategy of doing impromptu performance and doing something live on the fly um you know and not trying to i guess like not trying to show people that like you don't know what you're doing um or you've made mistakes but sort of i guess like yeah just pretending like there there is nobody in the audience but like you're still doing this thing where like okay this is my rendition if i make a mistake who cares move on keep going um there's there's better things that you can do to i guess to fill those um errors that are happening do you ever experience those when you're on stage 
Yes, uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, and it's been a very, you know, because a lot of the performance spaces I sing in are, are smaller spaces, kind of more intimate venues, which I love. I love that. Um, and I, I have performed at some larger performing arts centers, but mostly what I do is kind of smaller theaters or clubs. Um, so, you know, if I'm singing directly to a person, um, like a, a, a person in my mind or who I think the song is about, I will kind of pick a focal spot, you know, uh, in the back. So I Like I'm talking to this specific person, but some songs lend themselves to, I make direct eye contact with audience members. I sort of like open it up and kind of give the lyrics, like sing a, a line directly to somebody in the front row or in the table over to the right or in the middle, which I think people really, I can tell that that really goes over so strongly and people love that connection. And that being said, um, yes, I've made lots of mistakes and I've found that sometimes making mistakes, um, is like the best thing that can happen to you as a performer because it just kind of reminds me and the audience that, you know, we're here in real time and, and this is the present moment and things go wrong and we're kind of in this together. And depending upon the song or the mood, I've made plenty of jokes about mistakes. Um, I, I find that I actually, when things go wrong, I actually am able to shine in those moments if I give myself permission. And 99% of the time, I think the audience really likes that because I don't know if they want to see a completely polished um, person that makes no mistakes. You know, I don't, that's not real. That's not real. And um, so I try to lean into those. But if it's something dramatic, and emotional and I make a mistake I just keep going and I don't think that matters that much as long as you're you know committed to the story and and the moment and you're putting that feeling over it's okay if you if you mix up a word you know it's okay because you're still getting your point across and you're still you know putting your your whole self into it um but yeah, sometimes mistakes like that, I think they just make the bond between performer and audience even stronger if, if you can handle them the right way. And just kind of, instead of getting flustered or, or beating yourself up, kind of leaning into it, even acknowledging it sometimes or making a joke. Yeah, and I want to go back to something that you just mentioned in that comment, but there was something that you said about this intimate i guess setting which you sort of like love for yourself because it's sort of that smaller venue like a cafe or a bar or something like that or like mm -hmm. a club but like i remember hearing something about when you said about you know someone asked you but like how do you describe cabaret and sort of that was sort of what you described it as 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 if it was an intimate setting within a smaller venue um and being able to talk to i guess inflect some of the songs and speak to while you're on stage speak in between the songs to basically someone in the audience um making them feel connected as if you were talking to a friend um yeah right and i guess 
would you would you still describe that still as as being cabaret today yes absolutely that that's my idea of what it is i um and that's what i am so hungry for anytime i go to see a cabaret performer a singer in a small venue or a club like i that's what i hope for i hope for that connection i hope for you know that direct eye contact um or just a chance to really feel like i'm getting to know the performer's authentic self so i absolutely still believe that and you know i think cabaret is different from the theater like musical theater and as much as i love musical theater you know most of the time the performers you know they've got these big great big voices and and they're gorgeous voices but they're kind of singing to the back wall you know but i feel like in cabaret there is no back wall it's just you and your audience and i think it's so meaningful not to speak over them but to them and it can be kind of scary to do that but it's so rewarding and i found that i think people were really hungry for that you know the people that come they they love that they love to feel like they're really a part of what you're doing and that you're kind of in this together Yeah and if you don't mind me asking do you I guess now when you reflect on all the accolades that you've received over the years but also the experiences that you've had on stages big and small stages but when you reflect back on all of them do you feel that you I guess you've cemented your reputation now as a a, a dynamic performer I think so and and I look forward to continuing to grow and explore but I you know like I mentioned I I love the Great American Songbook I grew up on that but as I've kind of navigated over the years you know my first couple of shows were kind of more traditional which is great you know more songbook um Great American Songbook jazz musical theater songs but then in in 2013 I did a a Tom Waits show which really kind of um with the help of my director who was wonderful which which I think definitely kind of put me on the map as someone that wasn't afraid to to take chances or kind of break into some new material um and that kind of paved the way for my doing a Lennon McCartney show and then a John Prine show Um so yeah you know now I'm working on a whole show of all female songwriters which I'll do in October. Um I think in in some ways I have cemented myself. Um you know and it's it's so it's so hard. It's it's such a hard business but I feel like one by one I've sort of I kind of build a following person by person and it's not a huge following but it it continues to grow. and and sometimes i get notes from emails from people all over the world who have seen some of my videos and are touched by them and that and that really means so much to me and kind of pushes me to keep going especially when things get tough you know or i, I might get discouraged um that keeps me going absolutely well i mean you know i was i was also doing some research and i came across this question that someone asked you about 
you know, what, what motivates you to keep being creative and still keep loving life? And you said that seeing films, plays, musical and cabarets, you said you loved watching performers who are brave and are truth tellers, performers who make every moment clearer, who really tell the story. And I guess that's been so clear in this, in this conversation that we're having today, but that you've been very, I guess, how do I say, very clear within making yourself known as sort of the storyteller and still trying to, I guess, not sort of, I, I, I guess like you haven't sort of cemented yourself as a reputation as a dynamic performer, but I think you're still sort of figuring that out still. Um, I yeah. And, and so with that being said, I mean, um, I was, I was, I was wondering, I mean, obviously, cause you've, you've got a piano there. I, I know that for sure. Um, I was, I was wondering if you give us a give us a little taste of Judy Garland Summer Over the Rainbow or or a John Prine song if you would. I can do that. And you know, I'm I'm not the best piano player. I I can I can sight read and play, which I'm so grateful for, but I'm I can definitely give you a little a cappella. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, we can do that for sure. Okay. Um I will do that. So I'll do some Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Somewhere over the rainbow Way up high There's a land that I heard of once In a lullaby Somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue, and the dreams that you dare to dream really do come true. One day I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me. Where troubles melt like lemon drops Away above the chimney tops That's where you'll find me Somewhere over the rainbow Bluebirds fly Birds fly over the rainbow. Why then, oh, why can't I? Well, that was amazing. And that was Marissa Mulder's version of Judy Garland's Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I mean, it's so surreal to be able to, I guess, think back now to seeing those, I guess, Wizard of Oz and Judy Garland sing it when you were five years old to now being able to sing it on stages um, in front of live audiences. Um, but I mean, we're at the end of this uh, conversation, but thank you so much for being able to chat with me. Um, I had such a pleasure to be able to explore all this stuff with you that we've had to, that we've had the chance to, but uh, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. I had a ball and um, I love speaking with you. Thank you. Well, to the listeners who made it this far into the episode, thanks so much for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with American singer-songwriter and cabaret artist Marissa Mulder. You can connect with Marissa on her Instagram, Facebook, and on TikTok. Visit uh, marissamulder.com if you want to know more about her music and her story. 
Um, you can also connect with me on all social media platforms and find my podcast on all podcasting platforms. I've been your host, Shigby saying Thanks for tuning into the show. Thank you.